you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fanfiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fanfiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Marcus. Hey guys, what have you got for me today? Because I want to write something. And obviously I only write oh. things if it's for this oh. writing exercise. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm so excited. Oh, that's why I keep going. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, so, All right, I changed okay. my mind. I'm not going to take a prompt today. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Write whatever you want. Come back. No. no. No, no, no. Well, I would say that's a great idea, except then you wouldn't have the opportunity to write about John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, that movie I've been wanting to see forever. <laughs> and you should see it, but not before you write, because it is um, one of my favorite films is easily one of my favorite horror films ever made and andrew i know you feel similar about this am i right about that oh very much so i everything you said i i i would would reiterate this is not only one of the best horror films ever made it is just one of my favorite films um oh yeah it's fantastic Oh, it is one of my favorite dude films. Because guess what? This movie is all oh, man. dudes. So many dudes. So many dudes. And unlike uh, Magic Mike XXL, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, are all wearing clothes the entire time. A lot of clothes uh, because of reasons that I'll get to in just a minute. But first, I just want to talk about it. I called it John Carpenter's The Thing for good reason because it is directed by John Carpenter. I just really quick spoiler alert: if you're sensitive, if you've never seen this fantastic film that came out over 30 years ago, um, <laughs> uh, you should you should just know that up front. Uh, we won't get it's it's kind of another one that's kind of hard to spoil, uh, but because yeah. Eric and I aren't going to get much into specifics, but uh, you know if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, beware. Sure. So uh, this was directed by John Carpenter. It is a remake of an old, uh, an old horror film, a classic horror film that I didn't bother to look any information up about, and I've never seen, so I don't know nothing about it. So I apologize to the old dead people you know, who made the, that the movie. The funny thing is, you're talking about Howard Hawks is the thing from another world, and it sure is. now that you're mentioning it, I think I've seen that. Oh no! Oh no! This is completely different. Forget I said it. But I don't. I don't quite totally remember different. how it went anyway. Do I have to write in black and white? Uh, nope. No, not at all. But though this movie is so stark that uh, perhaps it would serve to be in black and white, but I don't know how that's going to come across in your prose, so <laughs> never mind. Uh, anyway, directed by John Carpenter. This came out in 1982. It stars Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, Keith David, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Richard Dicer, Charles Hallahan, Peter Maloney, Richard <laughs> Macer, Donald Moffat, Joel Polis, and Thomas Waits. And it's important to mention all of them because that's the dudes. whole cast. Like that's gotcha. that's everybody. I mean, there's yeah. there's like a f- maybe there's like one or two other people 
but whatever. Yeah. Bunch of dudes. Bunch of dudes. But yeah, uh, no ladies at all, unfortunately. The screenplay is written by Bill Lancaster and John W. Campbell Jr., who is credited with the story. So those are our beautiful men who are responsible for this piece of art that I cannot gush about enough. If you want to watch this film, it's available on pretty much any rental streaming platform you can imagine. So your Amazon videos, your YouTubes, your Voodoo's, <laughs> all those those things. It's all available for like three bucks. So definitely worth the price of admission. Check it out. Uh, I think it's occasionally on Netflix, but not right now. Or if you get discs on Netflix, like some sort of savage, uh, you, could, you could go and do that. As I mentioned, this is a horror film. Horror. Horror. Uh, and my own personal relationship with horror films, mm-hmm. I'm usually pretty negative. Uh, I'm not one for slashers or one for being scared in the theater because I'm a little baby that pees his pants. Uh, <laughs> so, but this one is up there with a few of the greats that I do really appreciate. So it's The Thing. It's Alien. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other really good ones. Andrew. Rosemary's Baby. Exorcist. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's in that club. 1982. It's, it's, it, it has aged very well, I will yeah, say that. That's, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, this watching this movie even now, it's, it's just as scary. Um, everything holds up. It, it, it really does. You know, except for the, uh, the computer oh, no. simulations. Yeah, you're right. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> it's like alien in that regard. Yeah, so, uh, Andrew, what's your experience with this movie? When did you first see um, it? Why do you love it? I saw this movie for the first time when I was probably in junior high or high school because a good f- mutual friend of ours, uh, Rob Motor, uh, he and I grew up together, and he introduced it to me somehow. I don't know if his dad introduced it to him. But I remember watching it with him as a kid and just being spooked as all hell by it. Like, it's so disturbing, especially as a child watching that. Oh, my goodness. It was so scary. And then I also remember watching it uh, on the big screen in film school. Um, We watched it as part of a horror class, and it was really cool to see it um, projected in front of a, you know, actually in a theater environment. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's the first time I saw it. I was in that same class, so I got to see it with you on the big screen in 35mm, which is such a good experience. Loved it ever since. Uh, I rewatch this film all the time. I have the Blu-ray. It's just great. Yeah. So Last year I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of watching it at the New Beverly out in Hollywood with oh, some of our friends out there. Very cool. Um, so again, and projected in film in that case, so... That's fantastic. Uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of experience it, you know, the way that it was experienced the first time it was released. Yeah, so the the great thing, and the reason I'm gushing so much about this movie is because this is a suspense film more hmm. than anything else I could possibly imagine. This is the most suspenseful, it's all suspense, all withheld information, all dropping hints to the audience, it's all uh, stress and suspicion and mystery and in all of the best ways. And it also has fantastic effects, uh, which I know has nothing to do with the writing, but this is a masterclass in how to do practical horror effects. And it's a lot of body horror, which is probably one of the reason Andrew loves it because we all know he loves his body horror. And also Wilford Brimley (laughs) is in this which automatically gives this film like an extra star or two 
any film that he's in, in fact. <laughs> you know, this and uh, Cocoon. Cocoon, and, uh... yeah, and uh, Liberty Medical commercials. <laughs> uh, and, and, and remember, audience, check your blood sugar and check it often. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Eric, you wanna you wanna set this up or what? Do you, yeah, how? yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Marcus, pay attention. This is fun. There's not much setup. This is gonna go quick. All right. So, oh, you Andrew, go it? ahead. Cool. You do this it. is exciting. I don't do it. <gasps> so the the thing is set on an American research station in Antarctica. So these guys, these twelve or so guys, are in the middle of. God knows where Antarctica, <laughs> surrounded around by just ice and death. It is winter, 1982. It specifies that. Um, so it's negative 40 at night. Like, it Oof. is deadly cold. Celsius or Fahrenheit? Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> though it's not specified. I'm just going to go that route. Um... <laughs> Because I don't know how Celsius works. So, <laughs> they are isolated. There is nowhere to go, and they've been having trouble with communications. Um, so, they are kind of stuck, and they can't communicate with the outside world. So, one day... Can, can I can I jump in yeah. for a second? Uh, Marcus, did you ask Celsius or Fahrenheit because you knew yeah. that it's the same in Celsius and Fahrenheit? <laughs> okay. 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 All right, negative 40 Celsius... Is equal to negative forty Fahrenheit. It, it seemed to go out over Andrew's head. Celsius I had a suspicion. Is. I just looked it up. I cheated. So good job, Marcus. You already get a point. You're uh, smarter than that's us. That's actually going to dock a point from mine. Um, so just rem- I'll have to remember that. I'm going to write a note. <laughs> no matter how good it is, dock Marcus a point. All right. So um, the conflict. What's going on here? So at this base. A dog shows up, a husky, who runs out of the snow, and it's being chased by these Norwegian scientists in a helicopter. <laughs> awesome. And they're shooting at it. They're shooting a, a high-powered rifle at this dog, and they show up at the American base. The dog shows up. The helicopter lands, and these guys are just shooting at this dog. So the Americans think these guys are crazy, so they kill them. And, and grenades get thrown at one point. The helicopter explodes. Like it's just madness right off the beginning. And these Nor- they turn out to be Norwegians just die. Like so, we have no idea why this is happening. The dog is still there. But what? Why were they shooting at the dog? What was up with the dog? And this, this shortly is thereafter, weird stuff starts to happen. Um. The dog, it turns out, is something. It's <laughs> they, the, Some guys go to the Norwegian base nearby. They fly over, and everyone's dead. It's destroyed. It's kind of still smoldering. There are dead bodies frozen all over the place. Something bad happened there, and the only... The only thing that they have from it is this dog. That's the only surviving thing from this base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we don't know what the thing is, but it becomes very clear in a few scenes that this dog is not a dog. It is, in fact, uh, some sort of alien that the Norwegians dug up 
from the ice near their base in their research station. Is it Captain America? Mm, similar. No, uh, <laughs> that's but, not true. <laughs> but instead of flying a giant wing, it was flying a giant spaceship. And uh, the kicker is that this is detailed stuff that doesn't matter. But it turns turns out this thing crash landed like ten or hundred thousand years ago yeah, or something it's really crazy. It's a long time ago. And then the Norwegians found it, uh, found this uh, frozen thing in the ice. They pulled it out of the ice. They unthawed it to try to study it, and it came alive and wreaked havoc at this base. We never see any of that. We just see the aftermath. We see the big chunk of ice that they found this thing in. They can they they, they have some home movies yeah. that they took when they found it. Whatever that yeah. So it turns out this dog is this alien that is basically like a body snatcher. It can perfectly imitate any anything, any life form. And it and it spreads like a virus, so it'll it'll reach out its noodly <laughs> appendages and uh, assimilate a living being, including people, and can perfectly imitate them. I'm talking mannerisms, look, speech, everything, and perfectly. And I just want to jump off what Eric said. So this thing, imagine just the worst thing, just just <laughs> the worst thing. That had you know tendrils and and like tentacles mm-hmm. and Bony knuckles teeth and just terrible things. It's a, a mix, a mashup of all the worst parts of all the worst animals. <laughs> so it's a hot dog. <laughs> just just thrown together. It is a hot dog of a monster. Yes, it's a sausage <laughs> of a monster. Um, no, it's. The way that it absor- it absorbs things, digests them, and then transforms itself into them, like into the same thing. So if I were t- digested by this thing, it would like it absorb me, and then it would look terrible for a while, and then it- I would just pop back out, and I'd look the exact same as I do. But I now I'm a perfect imitation. I'm not who I was. I am an alien now. So. The key, the mechanic to this, is that this thing can spread. There's not just one thing, necessarily, because if it uh, it manages to digest a human being, it can basically split... It, there could be multiple things, oh. and uh, it's a, and it's all based on the same organism, but it spreads. it's spreads. The thing is sentient at a cellular level. It... If it's at, at, at one point they um, as a test they have like these little blood vials and they stick like a hot uh, copper wire into it and the thing reacts in in fear like the blood reacts to it because even at that small of a level it knows to protect itself and the key to the transformation process when it takes over somebody is that it needs to be alone. Because it's trying to do this in secret. It's it's trying to spread as much as possible, but it doesn't. Uh, it knows that if it does it in public, the jig is up and it's going to get killed. It's all about self-preservation. I mean, it's it's frozen itself in ice for like a hundred thousand years just to preserve itself. Yeah, it's not like death. a malevolent force. It's not evil. It's it's a creature that's trying to survive, um, and it's. Yeah, and uh, and they don't find out that this dog, for instance, was even a thing until after it had been 
at their station for about a night. So this thing had time to maybe get alone with one <laughs> or more of the people at the base. So this is where the suspense and suspicion is amped to all hell. Because the thing could be anyone. Nobody is safe. Even our main characters that we're following, nobody is safe. Anybody could be the thing. And everybody knows that that's a possibility. And that's where all of the drama comes from in this this film. Like, one of the reasons, if not the reason, that we absolutely love this uh, or adore this film is because it's so simple in that way. Yes, we're going to give you a list of 12 characters, but (laughs) who they are and what they do don't really matter in the long run because it's just a, a mad scramble to figure out who's infected, if anyone's infected, how to destroy the thing before it spreads, and how to subdue all this while surviving the Antarctic wilderness. So, uh, Andrew, I say let's start with the actual characters. Let's get these guys out, uh, explain yeah, whatever yeah, you want to do. Yeah, I'll start. You do a few, I'll do a yeah, few. Yeah, 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 because we, we, we'll name all of them, but it's they're all such, you know, just basic archetypes. It's not going to take very long. But the first one is the most exciting, because it's Mr. R.J. McCready. McCready is played by Kurt Russell. He's he's our hero. Um, he is the helicopter pilot. That is his job. Um, he is, you know, kind of a loner type he he has this like little shack that's separate from the rest of the base where he hangs out (laughs) so of course he's kind of the bad boy and he has a hell of a hat like (laughs) he has a great hat it's like a big cowboy hat with the brims like pulled up (laughs) it's a weird hat but it's the best (laughs) it's great but remember this is like 1982 so this he's also got a lot of hair and he's got a beard He's just, he really looks like he's sort of prepared for Antarctica, but maybe just like an expedition somewhere <laughs> because he looks like an adventurer and he's, he's a cowboy. Yeah, he's, he's been through some stuff. And for some reason, and again, maybe it's just because he's Kurt Russell and he's, you know, the lead of this movie, McCready becomes the, the leader of their group when things start hitting the fan, even though the others are scientists and like there is a guy that is like the guy in charge. He's a military man. McCready really takes control of the base and them handling everything, even though, again, he's just, he's a helicopter pilot. That's, that's, that's his job. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting, but he, he, he's a, he's a competent leader still. But then there's uh, Gary. So Gary is the leader of the base. He's the military guy. Um, he has a, he has a pistol and uh, bullets. He has like a bullet. <laughs> like a, like an, ammo, an belt, ammo belt belt, yeah, at all times. <laughs> um, so he's he is the leader, but uh, he's kind of yeah. For some reason, before stuff even starts going wrong, he's got this pistol on. Like, who's he gonna shoot? It's Antarctica. <laughs> what what what's the point of that? Anyway, moving. Yeah, on. I'll, I'll do one more before I pass it over to Eric uh, Blair, and that's Wilford Brimley. Um, he is, uh, I guess, he's kind of the pathologist. He's the one that performs the autopsies on. Um, like the dog and the creatures that they find from like they, they, they bring back some stuff from the Norwegian base and he performs an autopsy on it and kind of says that, Hey, these are all human organs in here. Like, this is like 
perfect human stuff, except that it looks like this crazy monster thing. Um, so yeah, so Blair is the pathologist, and he is probably the most paranoid from the beginning of everything that's going on. Well, well, maybe not paranoid. Well, there's definitely characters who are paranoid. Blair is just the guy who understands the ramifications of what this thing is, because he's the one who plugs some data into a 1982 computer and is given the straight up answer that if this thing gets out of Antarctica, it will take over the world population in a matter of, I don't know, a week. So he's, you know, he's the one who sort of figures that sort of thing out and knows that, well, uh, we're all screwed. It's better for all of us to die here if it means that we can also kill this thing than to let it get out. Gotcha. He's the one who's aware of that. Cool. Who else we got? And uh, our next character we have is Childs. Childs, like like children, <laughs> like child, but only more so. <laughs> Childs. He's Keith David, so he's got that oh, voice, yes. that sexy deep voice we all know. He's kind of a hot-headed guy, and I don't know what his real role in this group is, but I guess he's the flamethrower operator. Yeah, he's the guy that they call. It's like, Childs, get the flamethrower. Okay. Yeah, so he's the flamethrower guy. Uh, next we have Fuchs, Fuchs, who is a scientist type. Yep, Fuchs. Uh, I'm not even going to spell it for yeah. you. He's a scientist type. He's smart, I guess, because he has glasses. <laughs> so that's how you know he's smart. Uh, next we have Dumpy Dave. <laughs> uh, Dumpy Dave, whose actual name is Norris, and, but it, actually, it took us a long time to find out when we were watching it, so we just called him Dumpy Dave. <laughs> His defining feature is that he is dumpy. Oh, good. <laughs> he's, just, he's just an overweight guy with curly hair. <laughs> and he's dumpy dead. <laughs> uh, we have Copper, who uh, is the doctor of the group. You know, so if you have an owie, you go to him. Uh, another one, one more before I hand it back to Andrew. Uh, Palmer is the name of this guy. He just smokes Swede. Uh, and is paranoid, sort of, and I don't know what he does. Uh, he doesn't do anything. We just see him smoking a joint, so that's his thing, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's kind of unclear what all of their roles are. They never go into it. Like, even Dumpy Dave, like, we don't know what Dumpy Dave does. Like, he's a scientist, probably, but we don't know for what. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so Fuchs, I think, is the only one on this base, and maybe Blair, who is maybe, like, a scientist? You know, like, nobody else really makes any sense. Why are they here? Um, so there's, uh, the, other, don't worry uh, about the last of them, there's Windows, um, like the operating system. Um, or, you know, the Windows. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you got it. Um, like, uh, he's the radio operator, and he is really tweaky. He's he's the guy that just gets excited about everything. Uh, I, I, Eric has this note here that I love. Uh, think Bill Paxton in Aliens. Game that's over, that's Windows. Man. Yeah, yep, you got it. Um, Bennings with a B. Bennings. Um, he looks like Ron Howard, <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's always the buzzkill. He's he's super like Debbie Downer, negative Nancy. Um, that's Bennings. Nulls. <laughs> Like, like New Orleans, I guess, but Nalls, um, he's the cook, uh, he is the resident, he's the resident jive talker, <laughs> and he's always wearing roller skates and blaring music in the kitchen, um, and then the last guy is Clark, and he's the dog guy, he keeps the, uh, they have, they have a team of dogs, I'm assuming they have a dog sled of some kind, um, 
though we never see it. There's just a lot of dogs in a kennels. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he has one hell of a beard. He is very beardy. Wears a lot of flannel. They all wear flannel. But he especially wears flannel. Clark. Yes, yes, Clark. Yes, so that's all the characters. That's 12 dudes in a facility in Antarctica dealing with this crazy alien presence. And nobody knows which of them is human, which of them is the thing. Because at least one of them is the thing at any (laughs) given moment. Uh, But uh, it's hard. I'm not even going to say anything more about the plot because that's all you need to know. Uh, So when you're writing this, the things to keep in mind about the tone of this is that it's dark. It's suspenseful. It's dramatic. There's a lot of heightened emotion because this is straight up a life or death situation for all of these people. And for some of them who realize it's a life or death situation for the entire world. So there are high, high stakes uh, in this that are relentless. Yeah, everybody's really confused and angry. You know, you have people that keep their cool like McCready, but... uh... You also have people that are like Windows or Bennings who are just like freaking the hell out and making everybody else freaked out. So very, very yeah, high absolutely. tension. Yeah, there are lots of uh, accusations flying around uh, where it'll be people will think one or more people will think that a certain character is the thing. So they'll react uh, appropriately to them. And maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. Uh, there's a lot of misdirection in this film where small hints are dropped that make you think that a character is the thing and in reality they aren't the thing. Meanwhile, the actual thing is obscured and we kind of get some maybe hints if you look really closely, but it's it's kept as a mystery. Like, watching this film, you have no idea, like until you watch it like a dozen times or something, you have no real way of knowing which character is the thing. So you're right there with them. So if you're writing this, keep your reader in suspense. Don't give away the game. Gotcha. Uh, which I know you will do just fine. Uh, Andrew, uh, like what other kind of tropes, uh, what elements are left that we need to give Marcus before we let him go right? Oh, man. Um, one of my favorites is that uh, whenever referring to the Norwegians, uh, McCready calls them Swedes. He's always like, damn Swedes. And someone says, they're Norwegians, Mac. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite things that happens like all the time. Um, also, McCready is an avid whiskey drinker, specifically J&B. He shares it at one point. J&B. Uh, yeah, he likes the whiskey. Um, it's so cold, like all the time. Like you can feel the cold of this place. They go outside only when they absolutely have to. Um but the it, it also is in such stark contrast to the use of flamethrowers because mm-hmm. their primary weapon against the thing is our flamethrowers burning it. Um, and so that paints such a great picture of these two, the fire and the ice of it. And uh, if you're going to do an alien assimilation for this scene, just remember, noodly wigglers. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many noodly wigglers in this film. Uh, it's fantastic. Just little, just little things will come out of weird places on the animal or the person or whatever, and attach to another thing, and it'll be like a an arm, 
like a bony weird arm thing that kind of grows out of it and at one point a character who is the thing his head separates from the rest of his body <laughs> and grows like spider legs and like eye stalks to try to escape it's fantastic awesome. and gross <laughs> disgusting body mutilation to the max just make it disgusting Make, make me throw on up. The subject, even though it's a little early in the game, I'm just going to say for my uh, my bonus point, it's going to be the most disgusting assimilation or thing-oriented thing. Just, like, I, I, I want you to disgust me. I want this to be horrible. Because, again, these effects in this movie, the reason that they hold up so well is that they decided with the design to just make it truly alien. Like, this thing looks unlike i don't know how you describe it because it's just you know it's it's all muscle and tissue and it's covered in dude there's so much vaseline was used on this movie like like the amount of vaseline used on the top of everything like it's just dripping and gooey the whole time (laughs) and and also remember that the way this thing works is that it kind of collects body configurations so if it has assimilated a dog it will know how to turn into a dog. And if it's transforming, maybe, like if it's a person, maybe you'll see some dog parts sticking out. You know, any person it has assimilated will, is basically being collected by this thing, which is really cool. And they play with that a lot during transformations and like during the gross ooky Vaseline heavy scenes. But basically for things that you can write, honestly, just go crazy. There's, you know that there's a ton of suspense, you know that there's this monster in their midst. Just write a scene that is exciting and scary and suspenseful. And uh, as long as MacReady is involved, I think uh, you're good to go. I mean, choose any, any character, make up any past, invent who has already become the thing, invent who has already died, <laughs> because there are deaths galore in this. Uh, just make it up. I want to see your version of it. All right. Yeah. Well, should I so, do a summary and then bonus points? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it back to us. Okay, so this is 1982 at an American Antarctic research station. Uh, it's negative 40 degrees. We're still out on whether that's Fahrenheit or Celsius. <laughs> it is negative 40. It's winter. Uh, they're having signal troubles. They can't get any communication outside of the base, which is problematic because these Norwegians show up in a helicopter shooting a dog, which they cannot, as good Americans, allow to pass. So they throw a grenade at the the helicopter, causing it to explode (laughs) to save this dog who will destroy all of humanity. Good job, USA. They (laughs) have found out that this is an alien presence that landed in a spaceship 100,000 years ago. The Norwegians dug it up. And according to their fancy 80s computer model, if this thing escapes in a week, the entire world will be the thing. So, the thing is just the worst. That's the big takeaway I have. It's, it's goopy, it's noodly, it's got parts of everything in it. It can assemble different people, it can be in multiple places at once if it's taken on multiple bodies. It has no tell. It's able to assemble probably the language and the memories of the person so that they're able to communicate. It's sentient down to a cellular level so it's very hard to kill it is all about self-preservation it's not about killing others but obviously it thinks of us as food or some way of disguising and propagating and we've got a bunch of dudes all 
all dudes here. So if there's a woman, you know she's the thing. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, R.J. McCready, sometimes goes by Mac. He's a hero, he's a loner, he's a bad boy. He's got a cool hat, he's hairy, he's got a beard. He's a helicopter pilot, which is useful because if he's the last one alive, maybe he can escape. Or it's really dangerous because if the thing takes him over, then maybe they can fly away in the helicopter. There's Gary, who's apparently been planning for a while to kill someone at the base because he's always carrying a pistol and a bunch of ammo. <laughs> like, like more than just one reload, as if, yeah. as if everyone's going to come yeah. at him. It's a bullet belt. Yeah, it's a bullet <laughs> belt. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, there's Blair, who performs the autopsies. He knows how dangerous this is. There's Childs, who's the flamethrower guy. <laughs> there's Fuchs, who's a scientist, and he's smart because he has glasses. Or he has glasses because he's smart. We don't know. There's Norris, or Dumpy Dave, as he will be referred to in my story. There's Copper, who's a doctor. I'm just assuming he's Hawkeye from MASH. There's Palmer, who smokes weed at one point, so of course he's paranoid. There's Windows, like the operating system, not the thing. He's tweaky. Uh, he's very, very much like Aliens' Bill Paxton. There's Binnings, who's a buzzkill that looks a lot like Ron Howard. <laughs> There's Nalls, who I think is my favorite character. He's a cook, jive talker, and skates around on roller skates in the Antarctic. <laughs> yep. yep. And there's Clark, who is the kittle master. And these guys have trouble coming to them because they can't tell what's going on. I'm going to do some nasty things. Andrew already gave me the bonus points. Most disgusting thing thing or assimilation. Mm -hmm. Uh, What can I do to please you, Mr. Carlson? Just include a good red herring. I mean, this is a solid mystery. Misdirect me, damn it. I want to see... I want to be directed to think that someone is the thing... And then get the rug pulled out from under me. Uh, a good and red herring and a good twist. Snow globe in a autistic oh, child's no, hand. Oh no! Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed no. it. Nailed it. So yeah, that's all you need. Uh, it sounds like you understand what's going on. So just just go I'm right. I'm so excited. Thanks for giving me a sci-fi horror, guys. This is oh, lots of, of fun. Of course, have some fun. All right, I'll see you in a bit, or maybe it won't be me. Hey podcast people, if you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction, and that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. All right, while Marcus is off writing his take on The Thing, Andrew, let's chat. What do you think do it. we're going to see from Marcus Mann? <laughs> All right, so my prediction is that I hope he seemed very happy when we described Nalls to him. Yeah. So I hope that Nalls is talking all kinds of jive. We got some and roller we skating. Get some sweet roller skating action. Like, oh, good. I hope that features. Uh, heavily in his piece. Perhaps even from Nalsa's perspective? We'll see. <laughs> that would be interesting. A minor yeah. character. Well, we told him that uh, 
that McCready has to be in it, no matter what. Yep. At least that's what I said. He might ignore it. I mean, he just wants to ignore all things and write whatever he yeah, wants. Yeah, he is. So maybe it'll be a uh, something from the alien's perspective. And oh that's my goodness. what my secret bonus point is going to be. <laughs> that would be nutso. It would be nutso. It'd be something we've never seen before. And maybe the humans will become the other in this situation. Turn oh. the tables. Make the make make the people the thing, and the thing that, the people. What? You know that would actually work really well because I mean we even hit on this with him. The thing isn't evil. Ah. It's a creature. It's, it's trying to survive. <laughs> it's so, just misunderstood. Yeah, even though it's the worst thing in the world, yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> It you know it's got feelings maybe. <laughs> All right, why not? Well, let's find out. Let's bring him in. Let's check it out. Hey guys, I am back. I'm in a peppy mood for having just written about a murderous alien. So oh, how yeah? have you guys been? <laughs> oh, you know, we've been keeping cool. Oh, ah, it's Antarctica. Like Forty degrees. Celsius. Yeah, it's <laughs> Either way, mouth. All right. <laughs> All right. Don't think I forgot. Never forget. <laughs> I'd uh, like to read a story this. for you guys. Yeah, then we can just let's get just, rolling. I just wanna, I wanna hear it. Just, I'm so excited. I love this movie. Gosh. You have no idea, Marcus. I don't want to disappoint you, son. Daddy, no. You probably will. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> All right. Start low expectations. I present to you Nowhere to go but up. John Carpenter's Marcus Mann's The Thing. <laughs> Why did the lights have to go out? Christ, there had been three men with me in that room. Palmer, Childs, Norris. Brothers formed in this frozen over hell. We know that it needs to be alone to consume one of us. To devour our core and wear our flesh as its morbid marionette. Fuchs told us that much before he took his own life. But did it need the space, or just need us not to see? The three men had been in that room with me, and when the lights went out, they may as well have died. I run down the hall with their screams behind me. They want us to stick together, but the trust is gone. The only part of me that's left to them is a red trail of blood I leave behind. It's coming from my side, but I don't look down to see the extent of the damage. It doesn't matter, really. A part of me knew I was dead since the moment those Swedes showed up hunting that damn dog. <laughs> so, why fight it? Well, because I've seen what it's capable of. I saw its tentacles burst out of that Swede's chest when Blair made the incision. I saw him choke oh. on his own blood as the creature forced its way down his throat. That won't be me. <sighs> Mac, please! We have to stay in sight! Childs. He was the one who wrote me into this expedition in the first place. He said it was a chance to get away from the world. Now I expect he's about to set me ablaze if he catches up with me. The worst part is, I won't know if it's him doing it, or it. It could look so close to us. I make my way to the kitchen, to the heavy steel door of the freezer. Not where I thought I'd make a last stand, but at this point it's the best option. Gary had blown the heating in an attempt to finish it, when it wore Nalls' face. His stumble on the roller skates had tipped us off. Or maybe it was just fear that caused Nalls to fumble. Maybe we had killed him. I push the thought aside as my hand catches the door handle. <laughs> Putting weight on the door, even just enough to open it, shows me how bad of a condition I'm really in. The relief of not carrying myself feels too good. I have to struggle to keep going. 
but the freezer is the most secure location in the base, and with the heating out and the power fluctuating, the cold inside won't be long worse than the cold outside. We'd always made fun of the government for putting a walk-in freezer in an Antarctic base. <laughs> Guess it was made in some senator's home state. Now it might save my life. With a final exertion, I sealed the door by knocking over a metal shelf in front of it. Meat spills on the floor, and when I slump down to join it, I realize I'm not in much better shape. I crawl to a spot where I can see through the window. They'll no doubt find me soon. It will no doubt find me soon. I close my eyes, and in that moment I'm back in 75. The memory consumes me in an instant, unrelenting as a hurricane and just as loud. I'm back in the U.S., home for the first time since my last deployment. Every sight on the streets of New York causes me to jump. I don't know whether to run or attack. The shouts are in English. The smells aren't wet dirt. The people move about unarmed. Something grabs my leg, and I spin, then I'm ripped away from the memory by the sound of dogs barking. Suddenly I'm in the freezer at the end of my life. I never knew what it would feel like to meet death, even though I'd seen, sent enough men to their own. I didn't expect the past to feel so real and revisiting. I know what comes next, and it's a memory I don't care to dwell on. I force myself to stay in the present. I keep my right hand firm on the gap in my side, but grab my pistol in my left. I won't be much of a shot in this state, but Fuchs had shown that it didn't matter with the right target. The barking stops, and the silence is worse than anything I could imagine. Did Clark put the dogs down? Did he let them free? This had started with that husky. If our dogs made it far enough, that could be the end. Something grabs my leg, and I spin. No, I won't go back to that. In my final moments, let me leave my shame in the past. Something grabs my leg, and I spin. No! A face appears in the freezer window, and I'm spared New York for a time. The memory impossible to shake off on my own. It's Childs, but I hear Palmer's voice. Just burn the bastard. It's not Mac. Mac wouldn't have run. He wanted to keep us together. Childs ignores him and tries the handle. I find the trigger of my gun, but don't raise it, partly not to threaten Childs till I know more, and partly because I'm not sure I even had the strength to level the weapon. You got yourself stuck pretty well in there, Mac. He's smiling. But is that his smile? I don't want to kill you, Childs. I'm not sure if my own voice can carry through the door. It sounds distant to my ears. Mac, I don't want to let you die. You're bleeding. Let me help. How do I know it's you? I say, coughing. My chin is wet. We are in that room together. You know it needs us to get needs to get us alone, friend. Well, it took you an awful long to find long time to find me. <clears throat> we both know it took binnings faster than something grabs my leg and I spin. A little girl is hugging my legs in New York, her face covered in a smile that's missing a few teeth. The slowed reactions that would have killed me back in my deployment save her life. She looks up at me and cries, Daddy, Daddy! I don't have time to respond before her mother drags her away and they disappear into the New York crowds. No! I shout, pushing myself back. I return to the freezer, but the girl's face still follows me. Outside, Childs is banging on the door. Mac, you need to stay awake. We're coming for you. The concern in his voice seems real, but the way he's banging on the door is more aggressive than anything I've ever seen from Childs. When Palmer joins him, I'm sure they aren't real. I've never seen the stoner move so hard in his life. I think <laughs> back to that little girl in New York. She wasn't mine, and I'd never seen her again. But she could have been my daughter. Her face haunts me. Just a confused little girl in a big city, thinking for a moment I was her father. I don't revisit that memory often. It reminds me of the child I gave up during the war, the one I never saw. The daughter who would never see my face. In that moment, I make my choice. The same choice Fuchs made last night. He was always smarter than me, 
No wonder he came to it first. The only way to know it won't get me is to end my life on my own terms. I may have never seen my child, but at least this way I can ensure that the first time she sees my face isn't when it's being worn by some monster. It's funny now, thinking that child said I could come here and get away from the world. Now, the fate of it all is in this place. I close my eyes, but don't drift back to that day in New York. I've come to terms with that memory, and my decision after all these years. I know now why the lights went out, to make me face this, to bring me peace. I raise my left arm and open my eyes to steady the shot. But there is no gun. There is no hand. All I see are my beautiful appendages expanding in the open air. I've finished assimilating the memories. The worst conflict of MacReady has been resolved, and I'm now free of his thoughts. I'm free to be myself again. The conversations had started as a mean, or the conversions had started as a means of survival. But now I know that there is so much more I can do for these people. Each one I've consumed has had so much torment. I put an end to that. Elevated them to something more. At first, I only wanted to get home. But now I see that after a hundred thousand years, that can wait. If only to give this world peace. Outside the freezer, the ones called Childs and Palmer run at the revealing of my true form. No matter. I'll find them eventually. <laughs> the lights will go out, and we will become one. <sighs> The end. <laughs> yes. Oh, I am so damn pleased with yeah, you is. This and guy right myself. Here. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Guess who predicted Marcus would write the POV of the alien? It was me. <laughs> I didn't oh, even so. know that's what I was gonna do. <laughs> So you got my <laughs> secret bonus points right off the bat. There you go. It took a while to get there, but you got there, and I'm happy. Oh, <laughs> shit. I'm glad. Woo! <laughs> uh, wow. That was intense. <laughs> uh, I, 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 th I had to remind myself to breathe a couple of times. Um because I was I was leaning in and 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 listening very intently, but also kind of disturbed at the same time. <laughs> oh, kind of. A uh, little bit. Um, <laughs> so this this is so cool. Like I never. It's funny when Eric brought up during the prediction segment that he thought that you were gonna write it from the alien's perspective like that took like him saying that took me by such surprise mm -hmm. i never even considered that for a moment sure and now that i heard it i'm so glad you went that route because that was so cool very unexpected and really well done oh man and also the fact that you wrote this in present tense that was huge that made it so immediate that just that that's what drew me into it the fact that I was in the moment with, well, Mac the thing, you know, with McCready, and, oh, man, it just, it gripped me. So, awesome, awesome work in that regard. Excellent. Yeah. Eric, what, 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 what's, what's, what's kind of your broader thoughts on this? Oh, man, just after being so pleased with myself, uh, I have to take it back. Uh, you, you, did, you did good. I like that you added some uh, material that you wouldn't be able to get from the film. 
Uh, it's one of the things that's uh, great about fiction is that we get to see inside people's heads. We get to see, we get to hear more about their past, where they've been, what their hangups and problems are. More, you know, beyond what would be apparent in their behavior and their dialogue. So I like that you gave McCready a history because um, we don't know anybody's damn history in <laughs> the thing at all. We never get into it, which is one of the things that I actually love about the movie is that it's so. Uh, present. It's so now. It's not about where we've been. It's about where we are right now. And you did this fun thing where you're we're seeing into McCready's past. He's a Vietnam vet. He's had this experience on the streets of New York, and we kind of get these glimpses. Uh, so I think I think that's fun. You did something different with it. You really utilized the medium in a good way. Thanks. Yeah, I, I liked how you had the past with Childs, too, because, again, like Eric says, yeah. there's no inclination that they the, any of these men have passed with each other. Like, they knew each other before coming to the base. So I like that a lot. Yeah, for sure. So, Marcus, uh, tell us about this process. You said you didn't even know that you were going to write that uh, before you wrote it. So uh, tell us about that. Yeah, and of course I did know by the time I started composing Okay. But when I was originally trying to break it down, I wasn't sure how to handle this. And the challenge is to try to do something where you can actually throw people off the scent. And I thought mm. that, well, third person, if I go with uh, something that's deep print- penetrating into the guy's mind, we're going to have his understanding of things and the only real suspense can be with the other people. But then I thought I could use that to my advantage if I pushed even further into the first person. So I tried to add this extra layer of mystery to these memories that are just forcing themselves upon him. Because I started thinking, gosh, what would it be like to be in that process of being assimilated by the thing? You mentioned that the copies are able to have the complete mannerism, some of the memories, and so forth. So I just love the idea that it has to take you alive because it will just devour those synapses firing And that's what I was trying to go for there. And I thought that was just an interesting way of looking at it. So I also thought in a first person you would be the least likely to suspect that the character is the thing. Oh, absolutely. What a twist. Yeah. (laughs) So I was pleased with uh, how that worked out. The reason I did it first person and present tense, there is the immediacy there. But again, looking at sham fiction as a writing exercise, I don't particularly like doing first person, and I never do present tense. So I really wanted to try something that I don't normally do, because that's what you can do when you're experimenting. And one of the advantages of having a writing prompt or a fan fiction background is that you can focus on the way you're telling the story more than the story you're trying to come up with. Yeah, very true. Absolutely true. No, that's one of the the really fun things. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is the reason we like this exercise, because we get to try different things. And it you did very well. I mean, it was the... I know we don't usually use this uh, present tense mm-hmm. uh, in our fiction, but you didn't stumble. I didn't notice any instance where I, I wasn't feeling it in the, in the, in the moment. So I think you experimented and you did very well. So good job. Thanks. Congratulations. Andrew, do you have any uh, more in-depth analysis or things you noticed that were right or wrong about this? Um, again, like I didn't expect that twist 
coming at all until it happened. <laughs> um, and partially was that you added all these little details about Mercredi's character in addition to the, from the, the ones that we gave you in addition to the ones that you made up, like him calling the, the Norwegian Swedes several <laughs> times. Like, again, like you hear that at the beginning and you think, of course this is Mercredi. Like, yeah. it, 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 I never thought for a second that it was not going to be him. Um, so I thought that was that really cool. Those just little details. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, because it was an accuracy from the movie, at least as far as I understand it, um, is, is it? that Fuchs killing himself, mm-hmm. which I believe happens in the movie. Oh, like, does they it? find him. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he set himself on fire. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to get yeah, to that. Yeah, killed himself. You, yeah. There's one character in this movie that kills himself, and I'm pretty damn sure it's Fuchs. Oh, that's so, awesome. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I just it, did that because I thought... You know, he's the scientist. He's the one understanding the gravity of what's going on. And yeah. the only way that you can separate yourself from the madness of thinking that all your people have turned against you or that you could turn at any moment is to take uh-huh. yourself out of the equation. So that's, My God. that's so cool. So you and Bill Lancaster have something in common, the writer of the thing. That's apparently how you process extreme trauma when you're a glasses-wearing nerd. Good job. (laughs) I think being on a a witch hunt is a really scary thing. And to get swept up in that, a man of science might want to take himself out of the equation. (laughs) That was great. Um, One, oh, so anyway, Andrew, I I sort of uh, stepped on you. What what were you saying about that? Saying that was an accuracy or an inaccuracy? There was an accuracy yeah. because it's not answered explicitly. We don't see it happen on screen and we only, you know, we see his charred corpse and we see the characters going, I think he offed himself. But <laughs> so I, who, who's, who, who knows? Maybe that's not what happened. But I see that as something that we did describe that he kind of got. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also, um, my secret bonus points was that uh, I, you were going to focus heavily on Nulls and get some jive talk in there and some roller skate in action. So I did like how you added that bit that Null, what they thought was Nulls' tell was that he tripped up on skates. And I liked that a lot. Well, I think it's funny, too, because you it's the implication that there is a tell, that there is some sort of thing that when the thing takes over a person, you can always, if you're, if you're careful, you can sort of tell. And yet, again, in the thing, uh, there's no tell at all. It's absolutely perfect. Well, and that was part of the idea, part of the witch hunt nature of this, is yeah. that he he has no idea if there are tells or not. He's just getting mm. to this point of paranoia where because right. we're seeing it in his person, I'm not objectively saying, well, Nulls did this the way he doesn't normally do it. Right, right. Well, no, and it's, it's, it's a good moment because you have the character saying, I think there's a tell, and that's why they killed Nulls <laughs> before the action of this story. Um, and maybe he was the thing. Maybe he wasn't. Um, which is spot on for the source material because there are characters that get killed because other characters think they're the thing and they are not in fact the thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah no hardcore love it uh so right yeah uh i mean i'm just gonna get down to my score here sure uh, let's do it right away because you already got my secret bonus points which is not so much a congratulations of you so much as a, it is a congratulations of myself. Um, 
But <laughs> you also got my regular bonus points. Uh, and my bonus point was to include a good red herring in your story. And you did, like, the ultimate red herring. You 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 twisted the perspective at us at the very yeah. end. So that's perfect. You led us to absolutely believe that we're in McCready's point of view. When, in fact, it's this McCready alien mesh mushy mix going on so good job i think i think you got it my uh my score for this one is just going to be 10 out of 10 ufos that's so many ufos it's a lot of ufos it's scary someone Uh called the (laughs) (laughs) x-files andrew what uh what are your thoughts yeah so this was fantastic again like i was so caught up in it it was so immediate um i uh I thought it was great um, and just so unexpected. Um, well, also feeling of of the piece, like of feeling like the thing, like it. It was so different, but yet, again, yeah, it just it just felt like the movie. Um, so I'm gonna give you um, uh, I, oh bonus points. I uh, I said the worst thing. Like you were supposed <laughs> to include just a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing, and and I will say that I didn't quite get what I was hoping for. Yeah. You know, I didn't see a in depth, you know, just oozy awful thing. You described tentacles. You described some of the weird stuff, but you didn't go quite all in. Um, and then also my secret bonus points, which don't matter as much, were again the nulls thing and getting some jive in there. Um, and then also considering, uh, the, the Celsius comments earlier, um, I think I'm going to give you, uh, uh, Oh God, is this going to be uh, on the negative scale? A negative, uh, nine out of 10 degrees <laughs> Celsius. Out of negative 10 or negative nine out of 10? Cause there's a difference. It's like a 19 point spread. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever is worse. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, you, you can't uh, can't win them all, Marcus. <laughs> no, that was great. Good job, man. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, you set forth to try something new with your pros. I think you really succeeded. So congratulations. This one was awesome. Anything else you'd like to say? Oh, well, we've got to watch the thing now. I'd watch it by myself, but I'd get too scared. You, you would. Oh, give you me the heebie-jeebies. So if uh, anybody else out there wants to check out the thing, and you should, because it's yep. the best. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. You can find it uh, really wherever you can stream. You got your YouTube, the payment YouTube, whatever they call that. They got the, the Google, <laughs> the Google where you play, the Google Play, uh, everything. Can you watch it on your 1980s-style computer simulation? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I can't say no, because maybe out there, there is like a, a, a DOS version of the thing, and maybe it's just as good. Who can say? All right. But uh, definitely check it out. Fantastic film. And Marcus, again, good job. Thank you. This good is a fun story. One. Yeah. So, right. thanks well, everybody yeah, for listening. We'll We're going to... Bye. This has been Sham Fiction. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hello, 
Shammers, my old friends. I've come to speak with you again about some very special episodes we'll be releasing over the next three weeks. We call them Shamcoms. They're shamfics of sitcoms performed by a cast of our favorite Two Jackets film alumni. Hugging and learning guaranteed. There might even be music. So tune in next week as we start our Shamcoms with a bang. A big bang. A big bang. You get the idea.